I, again, do not have a particular passage uh, for you to turn to this evening. Last week, our evening sermon was directed toward fathers, teaching fathers or exhorting fathers about the greatest thing you can do to protect your young men. And we focused upon the reality of the, the over-sexualized culture within which we find ourselves. And as we're walking through this family emphasis series, talk to husbands, talk to wives. This morning I talked to children and how to be a, a proper child uh, in, in a family and how to, to conduct yourself in a way that pleases the Lord. Um, but many of the evening services have been on parenting. Uh, three weeks ago, it was uh, simply about raising godly children. We will technically finish that sermon next Sunday morning as we talk about discipline and consistency in discipline. Um, but uh, last week, how to protect young men in this overly sexualized culture. This evening, the Father's greatest act in protecting young women. And again, we are going to focus on the fact that we live in an excessively sexualized culture. And it's extremely dangerous for our young people. And last week, we considered the fact that there is a dramatic technology gap between the older generation and the younger generation, which makes it very difficult for the older generation to really understand the younger generation and really know what, what's happening, keep them accountable, because there's such a, a, a technology gap there. Well, this evening we're going to go in, in a little bit of a different direction. The problem of sexual impurity is not just a problem for young men today. Where society has a large number of, of uh, young men seeking sexual impurity, that society will, will almost always also have a large number of young women seeking to satisfy that demand for the impure. And today it goes beyond this. Uh, young women are, are not just being deceived and being lured into placing themselves as objects for men. But women, it's, it's gotten to a point through, through the, this, this newest third wave of feminism, which we talked about a little bit last week, and its dangers. It's getting to the point where, where women are, are, are seeking the impure for themselves as well. And this is a startling trend. Even as Scripture presents the problem, when the women in a society begin to seek out sexual deviance, sexual perversion, it reveals a society that has, in many ways, been truly given over to lust, been truly given over to depravity. In fact, in Romans chapter 1, we see a, a presentation of the, the depravity of man, of, of the depth of, of a man's rebellion, of humanity's rebellion against God. When, when it gets to a certain point, that, that rebellion becomes obvious and it has telltale signs. And as we consider the, the telltale signs of a society that has utterly rejected God, one of the, the most obvious of these signs is sexual perversion, and particularly, as we'll see in just a moment, sexual perversion among the women of that society. We read in Romans chapter 1, beginning of verse 24, wherefore, as, as Paul is describing this society, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women 
did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was me. So here we read about a society that is given over to sin, a society that is pursuing lust in their rejection of the knowledge of God. When God removes his divine hand of restraint upon the people as they elevate themselves unto God, rejecting the true and living God and making themselves God, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. And one of the marks of this, the scripture says, is that they defile their own bodies among themselves. And as we continue the description, Paul says, even the women... Even the women do that which is against nature, meaning that women are pursuing other women unto sexual attraction, uh, uh, homosexuality. And we know that this is what's being spoken of because of what he says then, likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, that which is wrong, that which is inappropriate, that which is against nature, that which is sinful. And yet, I want to key in on, on that, that phrase, even their women did change the natural use. Even their women. Paul says, this, this is, this is the, the sign that society has gone that one step further. As we look in scriptures, we see several accounts of various elements of society that had been lost in the sin of sodomy. And in each of those cases, of course, starting with Sodom in the scriptures, right? we see that, that men are the operative focus, right? In Sodom and Gomorrah, Sodom, men were the ones that, that were, were committing this vile sin. When we look in the book of Judges, right there at the end of the book of Judges, in, in that city of Benjamin, in Gibeah, it was men that were being the problem. We don't see in the scriptures the, this account of, of a society that has gone so deeply into depravity that women are following in this sexual perversion. And yet Paul says, almost in shock, almost as that extra step, even the women, when, when a society has completely rejected God, follow after perversions of sexuality. When, a, when the women of society relinquish honor and propriety and pursue moral and sexual deviance and evil, you know that that society is, is deeply down the path of sin. Deep down the path of sin. History bears out that men are far more likely to stray from the truth and be inconsistent to their obligations and duties than women are. God has called men to step up and to lead spiritually. That is what he has called them to do. And yet we find that women have a, a tendency toward the spiritual, have a tendency toward the consistency, have a tendency toward uh, th that steadiness, toward that loyalty. And so when, when women in society fall into moral depravity, we can understand how deeply that society has fallen. And as I say this, as we read Romans chapter 1 this evening, uh, we know that our society is there. Our society is there. The women in Western culture have been in the name of liberation, which has gone far farther than, than ever is right. They have been loosened from the moorings of virtue and decency, 
and fallen into the decadent decay of moral depravity. And whether we, we talk about the sin of homosexuality or the other sexual perversions that, that are not homosexual in nature, that are heterosexual in nature, all of it being sexual perversion, we now live in a culture that is pressuring women into sexual deviance. That is encouraging it. And, and that is shaming those that don't go down that path. Now we identify this as a problem and it's reaching epidemic proportions in our culture. The next step when we've identified that this is a problem is to try to discern why it's happening and how fathers you can protect your daughters from this overly sexualized and deviant culture within which we live. Pastor, is it really that bad? Just look at any pop artist concert. Just look at any music award. Just look at anything on TV where you have a, a female musician. What she's wearing, what she's doing. Yes, sexual deviance is a big problem in our culture. It's being encouraged, not just upon men, but upon women. Now, we can't ignore this. And as we've spoken about our children for the last couple of weeks, we understand that the temptation in our hearts, parents, is when we see uh, concerns, we, we want to ignore them. Or we want to just assume our children, no, our, we've got good kids. We, th th not my child, right? Not my child. It couldn't happen to my child. But we can't do that. Now, again, I'm not calling you, as I said last week many a time and, and the week before, I'm not calling you to parental paranoia. Not calling you to stalk your own children. Go back and listen to the last two weeks of sermons if, if you need a refresher on that. I'm not calling you to stalk your children. I'm calling you unto care and accountability before the Lord. It's the temptation in our hearts to want to pretend as though it's not an issue or to ignore it or to think it's not really there, but it is. And it's a danger. Likewise, we understand that our children have their own wills. And that even though we may do our part, our children are not necessarily always going to choose that path. And we can't, we can't force our will upon them. But this evening, I'd like to talk to fathers about what you can do to protect your daughter from a deeply sexualized culture within which you find yourself. And some of the peripheral dangers that come from that. It's not all about sexual deviance. There are other real dangers that your daughter could find herself in one day because of the nature of culture and the pressures that culture puts upon young women or individual men put upon young women that these men aren't being taught, obviously, right? So let's talk about them this evening. The first one, and I'm just going to walk through um, these points as we go rather than having all the points at the end. And, and the first and most important thing you can do, fathers, to protect your young women is to teach them positive feminine virtue. 
what it means to be a godly woman. Teach your daughters what it means to be a godly woman. As with all things in the Christian life, our primary focus should not be reactionary, and it should not be prohibitive. We don't serve... This, this relationship that we have with the Lord is not a relationship of prohibition. It's not a relationship that I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. We don't see it that way because it's not that way. Now, many people see religion as that way. I don't want to get into religion because it just means I can't do a bunch of things. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what, what those who are in Christ experience. Those who are in Christ experience liberation, freedom when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. It's the freedom to do right. It's the freedom from sin. It's the freedom from bondage. It's the freedom from, from the, the, the silly, uh, trite, vain, empty priorities of this world. It gives us something to live for. It gives us something to hope in. It's a positive thing. And in every area of life, parents, you need to identify and encourage your children and yourself in obedience as a positive virtue. It's not about prohibition. It's not about what you can't do. It's about what you can do. It's not that you can't say those things and go those places. It's that you have the privilege of living above that because you're a servant of the living God. It's that you don't need to say those words or to watch that stuff on TV or to listen to that trash in order to find some sort of enjoyment or fulfillment because you have something so much greater. You have a fulfillment in God. You don't need to pursue alcohol to take care of your problems because you can lay your problems at the feet of Christ. You don't need to pursue a over-sexualized lifestyle to find some sort of fulfillment because you have that love and that acceptance in Christ. And so we always focus, first and foremost, primarily in the Christian life on positive virtue in any aspect. And it's the same with feminine virtue. Teach your daughters what it means to be a godly young lady. And we've talked about that. We've talked about that with wives, and, and uh, we had the, the two sermons directed toward wives and, and how you can uh, be a, a proper wife in the, in the context of the Word of God and what, what the Bible has to say about it. We ought to be teaching uh, positive truths about life and godliness so that when the temptations and problems arise in, in the lives of our daughters, our children have already settled in their hearts and minds upon an outcome that will please the Lord. They already know what will please the Lord, and they have a consistency of character that will encourage them to want to pursue that which pleases the Lord. And there's no lack of content in the scripture exhorting women unto feminine virtue and defining what feminine virtue is. And I, I mentioned already, many of these passages we've covered in, in, in recent messages, but let's just review a couple of them together. On Mother's Day, we went to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, which says this, In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness, good works. The positive virtues listed here are modesty, sobriety, shamefacedness, clarity of thought, clarity of action, and good works. That which pleases the Lord. We also considered some positive virtues just last week in 1 Peter chapter 3. In verses 1 through 4, we read this. 
Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating of hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God is of great price. Once again, as we consider the positive virtues taught here of biblical femininity, we find modesty and we find a spirit that is meek and quiet. Very similar to the exhortation in 1 Timothy unto shame, facedness, and sobriety. But there are other passages that we need to add to our understanding. Consider Titus chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Uh, Paul's speaking about the young women, and he says that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. And of course, we talked about obedience and submission over the past couple of weeks. You can refer to those sermons if you'd like more context to those. But notice the positive virtues we find here. Once again, sobriety, which is simply a, a soundness of mind, a clarity of mind. Loyalty. Discretion. Chastity. Moral purity. Goodness. Obedience. These are the positive virtues that are presented in the scriptures that reflect biblical femininity. Now, we could continue, right? We could go to Proverbs 31, and we could look at the Proverbs 31 woman, and we can see that she's a woman of initiative. We can see that she's a woman of strength. We can see that she's a woman of determination. We can see, again, that she's a woman of loyalty. These are all positive biblical attributes of femininity. But as we consider some of these positive virtues together, uh, we consider what we already mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, modest apparel. Now, we at Legacy Baptist Church understand that modesty is an issue that is not just a female issue, and it's not just an issue about what we wear. In fact, modesty at its core is not an external issue. It's an internal issue. It's an issue of the heart. The concept of being immodest is that of drawing inappropriate attention to yourself in any context. Immodesty is when you are drawing inappropriate attention to yourself. From this perspective, modesty can indeed and does indeed go far beyond just what a person wears. A person can be immodest in action or attitude just as easily as he or she can be immodest in appearance. And in fact, when it comes to young men, and when, as I teach modesty as it relates to young men, Modesty is far more an issue of action than it is of appearance in young men, isn't it? Men attempt to draw inappropriate attention to themselves not as much through their appearance as through their actions. And you can see this in little boys. I, I gave an illustration last time I, I taught on this. My wife and I were, were uh, in Georgia, and we were visiting her family there in Georgia, and we had two little girls. I don't remember exactly how old they were at the time. But their cousins came over, and their cousins are, are, are two boys. And it was amazing to see, as these two little boys got around these two little girls, how those two little boys acted. They were hitting their head with things, and they were jumping off of things, and they were trying to one-up each other. 
seeking to gain the attention of my daughters. And they were doing it through actions that would reflect something to, to gain attention to themselves. And, and this is, in fact, now they're, they're young little boys, but this was in, is, in fact, indicative of a form of immodesty. That they are seeking to draw attention to themselves at the expense of other people for the sake of getting these girls to laugh at them, to, to draw attention to them. That's the idea here. When, when, when men are being immodest, they do so oftentimes through acting tough or acting brash or acting foolish. It's one thing when you're a group of guys, right? You have a group of guys and, and you'll do some dumb things. But you add one girl to that group and the foolishness level goes sky high. Through the roof. And it's, it's, they'll act like lunatics. And the reason is because they are attempting to win the attention of that girl. Because that, and it's immodest. That's, that's exactly what it is. It is a modesty issue. Anytime a person seeks to draw inappropriate attention to themselves at the expense of their character, they're exercising an immodest spirit. And that is immodesty. Seeking to draw attention to yourself at the expense of that which truly matters, which is character. And in 2 Timothy 2 and in 1 Peter 3 and these passages that we've seen, it's specifically mentioned in regard to women that they have modest apparel, that they adorn themselves in modest apparel and reject those particular adornments. And, and particularly, as we see in 1 Timothy 2 and in 1 Peter 3, th those adornments that are over, over the top in, in, in flashiness, right? Uh, the the plating of hair and the wearing of jewelry and those sorts of things. And again, it's not to say that women can't wear jewelry or makeup or, or, or can't look nice. But what it is to say is that when women seek to elevate their personal appearance to the expense of their character, when they are seeking to draw attention to themselves for how they look rather than who they are, a woman is being immodest. Seeking to draw undue attention to her appearance or seeking to define herself by her externals. Defining herself by her appearance. It's immodest. So, so it is women that you can be dressed immodestly even if you have no skin showing. As a matter of fact, as we look in 1 Timothy and 1 Peter, the warning about modest apparel doesn't talk about how much skin you see, although that, that is an issue. But it's talking about how much attention you're drawing to yourself. A more generalized issue here. The typical classifications of immodest clothing are certainly valid, but aren't the end-all, be-all definitions here. A woman's apparel is, by definition, immodest anytime her outward adornment is drawing inappropriate attention to herself, which means a woman can be fully covered, but if she's wearing gobs of costly jewelry and self-aggrandizing clothing that is drawing attention to wealth or, or, or to herself and, and seeking to define herself by how she looks, She's just as immodest as the woman who hardly covers herself at all. 
One woman is seeking to draw attention to her body at the expense of her character. The other woman is seeking to draw attention to her wealth or to her extravagance at the expense of her character. Another woman is perhaps seeking to draw attention to her beauty at the expense of her character. And in each case, the spirit of immodesty is manifest. And this is the warning as far as this particular aspect of feminine virtue is concerned. That women, when people see you, and not just men, when society sees you, what ought to shine forth, what ought to be the thing they remember about you is your character. Your character ought to bubble up to the forefront every time. And before we move on, let's just take that, that moment to consider why things are the way they are as it pertains to modesty. Why is it that men are more immodest in action and women are more immodest in appearance? Well, this is based upon how God has created us, right? Those who have lived, and particularly uh, 15, 16 years old and up, uh, you should understand quite naturally why this is. Men are naturally vis visual. And women are naturally sense-oriented. Men are visual. Women are touch-oriented. Women are attracted to men who show strength, who show ability, who, who they feel will care for them or who give them special attention, who can offer them security or, or, or um, who can um, offer them so, some sort of attention that they, that they desire. They're attracted to men that they can look up to or men they feel they can depend upon. A man who's going to give them special attention, make them feel special. It's, it's an emotional thing. That's natural because God has created women that way. So is it surprising then that the tendency of a man in his immodest actions is to act immodest in action? Just like in the animal kingdom... When you see a couple of male animals seeking to win the female, they're going to puff up and act all big and tough because they are trying to show the female, I'm the one you want. I'm the one that, that, that will be the best one for you. It's the same idea. That men act immodest in action around women because we are trying to impress them and appeal to the, the way God has created them. And it's natural. Likewise, men are visual by nature. And so as we consider immodesty, men are attracted to things which are visually stimulating, which we deem beautiful. This is why car manufacturers go out of their way to change the look of cars every year. Does it really matter what the car looks like on the outside? Well, it does to the guy that's buying it, right? That's why he puts posters of cars on his walls. It's not because... It's got beautiful suspension. It's because it's got a beautiful body. It's because the man is naturally attracted to the way the car is designed. It's why manufacturers go out of their way to make tools look nice, to make everything look nice that, that appeals to men. Why? Because men are attracted to visual. It's why there are cheerleaders at football games. It's all the same concept. It's all the same concept. So, is it any wonder then, if boats look, you know, if they, they make boats look nice and tools look nice and everything else needs to look pretty, because guys like things that look pretty, because we are visually stimulated. 
Is it any wonder then that when a woman is tempted to act immodestly about, about, around a man to, to, to get his attention, she's going to do so in a visual manner through her appearance, right? This is natural. Men are visually oriented, so as we consider immodesty in women, apparel is the focus. Women are sensual, sense-oriented, emotionally oriented, so as we consider a modesty in men, action is the primary focus. Now, all of this being said, there, there are obviously always exceptions to the rules, right? There are always exceptions to the rules. And the definition of modesty is broad enough to capture those exceptions. But, but as we've talked about all of this, women, and, and I'm focusing on this one in particular because we're talking about protecting women from an overly sexualized culture. So we're, th this idea of virtue and chastity, of modesty, that, that comes up in each of these passages is really going to bubble up to the forefront. All of these other things that we, we have spoken of are essential to teach your daughters as well. Loyalty and discretion and meekness and, and goodness and obedience and all of those things. And we, 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 we know that. Many of those were covered when we talked to wives. But women, you, you need to understand how important it is that when people see you, your character is exemplified. Now, as I say that, I don't mean that you need to make yourself look ugly, right? You know I don't mean that. And, and there are women that are so uniquely blessed with beauty that no matter how hard they try, that they just look beautiful. There's, there's just no way around it. And, 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 and you don't have to feel guilty for being beautiful. You don't have to feel guilty for what God has blessed you with women at all. But... In every case, a woman's character should be of sufficient virtue that in the eyes of those who have eyes to see, not the dirty old man that has no eyes to see anything but the dirty, not the dirty young man that has no eyes to see anything but the dirty, but in the eyes of those who aren't looking for the, the perversion, they see your virtue, and, and, and that is what shines forth. That is your crown jewel is your virtue. And indeed, this is that positive virtue upon which you teach your young ladies and that, that in the eyes of all that see with purity and with clarity, in every situation, a young lady's virtue, her grace, her good works, her purity, her obedience to God and to, to authorities in her life would be the defining factors about how our young ladies are presented before the world. Fathers, teach that first and foremost. Teach your daughters the positive virtues of life. Guide them into those positive virtues. Work them up into their hearts. And guide them into this life. A virtuous, biblically right Biblical femininity. That meek and quiet spirit, which 1 Peter 3 tells us, in the sight of God, is of great price. She's not a cheap woman. A woman of biblical virtue. So teach positive feminine virtue. Secondly, fathers and mothers, you need to teach your daughters what is negative feminine character? You teach the positive, 
and, and that is first and foremost. We've talked about it before, that in every area of the Christian life, teaching, the, teaching what is right oftentimes by default whittles out what is wrong, right? We teach sound doctrine. I don't spend all my time behind, the, I could spend every week behind this pulpit teaching you some new false doctrine that's out there, highlighting some new false teacher that's out there, telling you what's wrong and this is wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong, but you know what is a far better use of our time? Teaching what, what's right. Because if you know what's right, then everything else, the wrong just kind of, oh, that's not right because I know what's right. And since it's not what's right, it's wrong. It's the same thing with, with any issue of life, including biblical femininity. Teach what's right, and the wrong will, will make itself pretty apparent. But also do. Teach what the Bible has to say about negative feminine character. It's important for women to understand what is right, but it's important for them to understand for the sake of perspective what is wrong. The scriptures are filled with these examples. You need not expose your daughters to negative feminine character. You don't need to take them to places where they can see examples of it. You don't, they don't need that. There's no need for that. The Bible has sufficient examples of negative feminine character that you can take them to those and you can show them. Now, last week we considered the harlot who ensnared the young man in Proverbs chapter 7. And as we did so, in Proverbs 7 verses 10 and 11, we read this. Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Uh, the, the first of these characteristics, as we would expect, is that of appearance, right? We see that in 1 Timothy. We saw that in 1 Peter. And here it is again. The first thing that the wise King Solomon, as he's looking out of his casement, sees about this woman is that she, she looks like she's shopping. She has the attire of a harlot. She dresses in a manner that is unbecoming of virtue. And by the way she dresses, Solomon already knew her intentions. Her external appearance, and he, he, no, remember he talked about her impudent face, her, her expression, her countenance, and her attire was already declaring her character what she was after and what she was about. But then he goes on and he gives two other attributes. She's loud and stubborn, and she, she's unstable. She's unsettled. She doesn't rest. She has a wandering eye. And, and again, as we talked about last week, society today, a loud and stubborn woman is seen as a woman of strength and capability. As a matter of fact, society will elevate that loud and stubborn woman as a strong woman, as what other girls should look towards. But in the eyes of the Lord, a loud and stubborn woman is a woman that is lacking in the virtue and grace that he has designed her to exemplify. That's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, we see the ornament that, that the scriptures speak of as a meek and quiet spirit, which in the eyes of the Lord is of great price. We talked about this one as well uh, last week, I believe. Proverbs 25, 24 in the morning service last week. It is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman and in a wide house. A brawling woman. That word literally meaning a quarrelsome woman. The woman who is uh, picky and naggy and argues and complains and, and, and is always ready to, to, to speak her mind. And, and, and uh, she's lacking the graces of feminine virtue. 
We read warnings against the negative virtue in the New Testament as well. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13, uh, a warning to young widows that remain unmarried. Paul says, and with all the, these young widows, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but tattlers, and also busybodies, speaking things that they ought not. Idleness, gossip, sticking one's nose where it doesn't belong. Once again, you see daytime show after daytime show, and they're directed toward women that stay at home, right? These soap operas and these whatever else. And what do they have in common? The women are brash, loud, immodest, busybodies, gossips. Everything that is counter to biblical femininity and biblical virtue. This is what society is pressing upon your children. This is what society for a generation has taught women to be. These are further evidences of negative character. And your daughter ought to know that this is negative character so that she can guard herself against them. So she can understand that there is something biblically wrong when she sees people exhibiting this character. And fathers, if you want to protect your daughter, you do so first and foremost by teaching positive feminine, biblical femininity, positive feminine virtue. But then you also show her what the Bible has to say about negative feminine virtue, that which the Lord is not pleased with. Third, And fathers, this is the one where perhaps you can be the most helpful. If you want to protect your daughters, you need to teach them what kind of a man is worthy of being, being around, worthy of interacting with, masculine virtue, what it means to be a, a man in the Lord. Teach them that a godly man will, will not pursue them for how they look. That a godly man is not stuck on their appearance. A godly man will be interested in them not for how they look, but for who they are. Not for their appearance, but their character. Teach them that a godly man will pursue them for their spiritual beauty, not for their physical beauty. Teach them what the Bible says about godly young men from Titus 2. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded, serious, not fools. That means he's He's not still a child at age 26. That means he's grown up. That means, that means he's learned how to take responsibility for his actions. That means, that means he, he's, he's a responsible young man. He's sober-minded. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness. He knows the word. He understands it. Gravity. Sincerity. Sound speech, his speech is right, that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. The godly man of virtue is the man who is seriously minded. He's serious about life and he's serious about godliness. 
He's a man of true good works. He's a man that is doctrinally sound. He's a man that is sincere in his love and his worship of God. He's a man whose speech is appropriate and sound so that no man can speak ill of him. And you need to encourage your daughters, fathers, to not be... to not find a man who's still a work in progress. Now, we're all works in progress in a manner of speaking. But this is an exhortation to young men. If he doesn't have a right foundation, if he, if, if he hasn't grown up yet, if he doesn't show positive masculine virtues, even at a young, young age, he's not worthy of your daughter's time, and she needs to be convinced of that. We see scriptural principles of men being men of hardworking, caring for their family, honoring his parents, leading others into godliness, active in his church, leading others into Christ. Now, this is not what society says a man is, right? And by the way, what does Proverbs say? Make no friends with an angry man. Young ladies, if he's angry, stay as far away from him as you can. Make no friend with an angry man. Absolutely not. If he shows any anger, dump him like a hot potato. Society says a man never admits wrong. He never admits weakness. A man never cries. A man is tough and rugged. A man never apologizes. A man never asks for directions. He never reads the instructions. That's a man, right? And it's not to say that all of these things are intrinsically wrong. I avoid the instructions if I can on things. But, you know, when, when push comes to shove, if you've got to do it, you've got to do it, right? I avoid directions. But if push comes to shove, if you've got to do it, you've got to do it. But none of that's a measure of a man. That's not what defines a man. I'm not a man because I'll throw the instructions away as soon as I open a new box of something. I'm not a man because I'm tough enough to tell some other guy to get lost. I'm not a man because my people closest to me have never seen me shed a tear. That's not what defines a man. The measure of a man, what should shine through when someone thinks of a man, just like what should shine through when someone thinks of a woman, is the godly content of his character. And fathers, when you teach your daughters that this is what a man is, and you show her through your example that that is what a man is, and we'll get to that a little bit more in just a moment, then when the time comes for her to make important decisions about her future, that's the type of man she'll look for. Because that is what will be in her mind what a man is. And she'll look at these little boys and say, no, you're not a man. I'm not going to entrust my emotions to you my, my love to you, my, my self to you, you're not a man. You can't even control yourself. You, you're, not, you're not even, you're still a child. I'm not going to entrust myself to you. And she'll know that because she's had a positive example of a man, and she knows what the Word of God says about what a man is. Positive masculine virtue. Fourth, fathers, be active in our life. 
Be active in your daughter's lives. Two weeks ago, I urged you to be an advocate for your children so that they see you as someone they can come to. They can share their spiritual struggles. They can seek you out for help. You want this, Father. And when it comes to your daughters, you want them to care about your opinion when it comes to men. You want them to care enough to come to you. You want them to care whether or not you care. You want them to care enough about their relationship with you that they will not threaten their relationship with you to have a relationship with another man. And this is one of the reasons why it's such a tragedy that there's so few father figures in our society today. You know, I go to the jail every week. And as I talk to the young women there, and I, I, I spend a lot of time talking to the young women just because of the time that I come in and we have a classroom that we sit in and, and I'm one of the, the chaplains that's accessible to them. And as we do so, so many of these women are in terrible relationships. They're being used and taken advantage of. And every time I ask them about their father, I find, almost without exception, that they went after someone that was very similar to their father in character, which is bad character. It's what they knew, it's what they were familiar with, and they pursued the same thing. It's the cycle of destruction that they find themselves in. You, you want your young ladies to understand that any man of character will not threaten her relationship with you in order to have a relationship with him. That you love your daughter, she loves you, and that any man that's worth anything will not threaten that relationship to be a part of your life, her life. Do you understand where I'm going with this one, fathers? A man of poor character ought to have to go through you to get to your daughter. And if your daughter knows you love her and she respects you, then it's far less likely that a man of poor character will be able to divide your daughter's loyalties and thus successfully take advantage of her. And this is what I'm talking about today because I'm not just talking about one man. Society is preying on young women today sexually. Society, there's so much pressure upon young women sexually in this culture. Some of that is because women don't understand virtue. But so much of it is because in this over-sexualized culture, this is also what's expected of women. And so that's why as we talk about protecting her, I am talking about interactions with young men. I am talking about relationships. I'm talking about these things because father... If you have a close, strong relationship with your daughter and you have taught her what it is to be a woman who loves the Lord and you have taught her what a man who loves the Lord is and she understands that and you have exemplified that in your life as a man of biblical virtue and, and it really helps if your wife has exemplified feminine virtue. This is why the family unit is so important because within this family unit you teach your children what is right you set an example, you lay a foundation for their future. 
This is why it's such a tragedy, so many fatherless homes. This is why it's such a tragedy, so many divorced homes. This is why it's such a tragedy that we have so many hands-off parents. We spoke two weeks ago. If you have fostered a subculture of communication in your family so that your daughter talks to you, she tells you what's going on, she's honest with you, she's upright, she doesn't fear you in the sense that she's afraid that if she comes to you with any sort of a problem, you're going to explode in her face, then she'll want to talk with you. And you'll know what's going on because it will be naturally expected by both of you that you're by you and your daughter that you two would communicate and if you show yourself as desirous to be that for her a virtuous young lady will not resent that as a matter of fact she will openly desire in most cases your protection fifth and finally fathers affirm your daughter's worth Affirm her worth. One of the primary reasons that young ladies in this culture are busy seeking the attention of men that are not worthy of their attention, that are, are being pressured into this attention, is because that man, he's lying to her. He doesn't care about her. She's a piece of meat to him, but he's affirming her worth. He's telling her what she wants to hear. He's making her feel special. He makes her feel loved. He makes her feel wanted. He makes her feel desirable. Obviously, the relationship between a father and daughter is different than a relationship between a young lady and a young man in many ways. Obviously, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that you should blur those distinctives. But a father has just as much opportunity to affirm his daughter's worth as any young man. Father, commend your daughter's virtue when you see it. Commend it. Be vocal about her strengths. Help her learn to accept her personal weaknesses and help her through those. Teach her how to find affirmation in God and his love. Don't allow some guy to be the first person to compliment your daughter. Don't allow some young man to be the first man to stand up and defend your daughter. Don't allow some young man to be the first one to make your daughter feel like she has worth. Feel like she's special. Because when a man of poor character comes telling your daughter all of these things which he doesn't mean because he has ulterior motives, but he's there anyway, or society comes saying this is what you want to do and she knows that her worth is not wrapped up in how other men see her, but wrapped up in the fact that she has virtue and God sees that virtue and when her worth is, is, is wrapped in God and in biblical feminine virtue and, and in, in this great prize that she is to the Lord, then she knows that she is far, that, that, that she, she is not cheap enough to lower herself, to be cheapened by these people and what they're looking for, by this culture and what it wants out of her. That starts at home. That starts with fathers affirming the worth of their daughter. That starts with fathers teaching that God, what God sees as worth. And affirming how God sees your daughter and has nothing to do with her physical appearance. Has everything to do with her virtue.
If your daughter lacks attention and love and security in the home, she may not be as careful as to where she goes out to find it. But if your daughter is secure and she's loved in the home, if she understands her worth before the Lord, then the empty promises of society and of individual men who lack character will not contain the same amount of allurement to her. If you can help your daughters be willing to be patient for God's best as it comes to her future, her body, her loyalty, her love, if you can provide for your daughter much of that emotional satisfaction and fulfillment that she needs as her father until the time that God provides for her a virtuous, godly man who she can follow, then you will be protecting her greatly. And if your daughter lives a life secure in how she sees herself, recognizing through affirmation that that what, what matters is her virtue. Sure, Dad, compliment her on how she looks, but far more important, compliment her on who she is. Hey, you know, I saw you speak to your mother in, in a way that was, that was right and good. We talked about obedience this morning. Hey, I saw you go out of your way to obey. I saw you get up right away and do. That's good virtue. That, that, shows, that shows biblical virtue. Hey, I, I heard how you, you reacted when those people were, were being silly and goofy and, and, and you showed a sobriety and a maturity, that's, that's virtuous. That's beautiful. That's beautiful to God. That's right, daughter. That, that's, I, I commend you for that. When you see biblical virtue in your daughters, elevate it. Elevate it. Make, make it, make it something special. Show her it's something special. Show her that it's worthy. Show her that that, that that is what gives her worth. And she'll begin to care far more about somebody seeing her virtue than seeing her appearance. And when some scumbag comes and is only complimenting her on her appearance, she'll say, look, I get complimented all the time on my virtue. And I'm not about to lower that because you're complimenting me on something that really doesn't matter that much. If your daughter lives a life secure in how she sees herself and how you see her, understanding her worth, emotionally stable by means of your love for her and your desire to see her as a virtuous young woman, happy and fulfilled, you will be doing much by way of protecting her from the temptation to seek attention by immodest means or pursuing a relationship which lacks virtue. If she feels worth already, then she won't be craving it from those that are not worthy of it. Fathers, you can't keep your little girls forever, right? You can't protect them from this world completely because they live in this world. And we can't just take them out of this world because if you take your daughters out of this world, then they can't win this world. And that's why we're here. We are here to win this world. 
So we can't just separate ourselves from the world. But what you can do, fathers, is prepare them for the world that's around them. You can position them to be successful in this world through your active teaching and example in their lives. They will make their own choices. And you won't agree with every one of them. But by God's grace, through your leadership and love, she can be protected spiritually, emotionally, physically to the extent that you are able. You can give her the very best foundation and the best chance possible, every advantage at her disposal to find herself in a situation where she has not been preyed upon sexually or emotionally by this culture, which is seeking to do exactly that. And may God help us fathers to do our best to bring that to pass. Let's close in prayer.